0: Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF the podcast. This is episode 113 called Sunita. Guys, I'm so excited to tell you about belly for women prenatal, which just hit the market. 92% of women don't get even close to the 450 milligrams of recommended choline they need in their diets. And in a recent study, most prenatals don't contain much of any choline at all. Belly's women's formula includes 400 milligrams of choline. Belly did things differently when they created their prenatal, they looked at the research and they evaluated what key ingredients were needed to help women prepare their bodies to be the healthiest they can to conceive, grow and welcome new little lives. Belly is formulated with the right nutrients to help boost your fertility, increase egg quality and support IVF to increase your chances of conception and a healthy pregnancy. Then once you're pregnant, Belly is gentler on the stomach to reduce the effects of morning sickness made with methylated B vitamins and the right amount of choline to support your baby's development. To get started with Belly, go to BellyBaby.com and use code ALI15 for 15% off your first month of either Belly Women or Belly Men. Again, that's code Alli, ALI, ali one at BellyBaby.com. That's B E L I. B A B Y dot com. Thanks, Belly. Hey guys, I want to tell you about Veracity, which is a totally new type of skincare and wellness brand that's revolutionizing the way we approach caring for our skin. Instead of treating symptoms, they help you get to the root cause of your skin concerns through the first ever at home skin and health test, measuring five key hormones and pH. Because we know that to have great skin, you have to start from great health within. After experiencing years of suffering dry patches on her skin, Veracity founder Ali Egan thought she would never find an answer or permanent solution, despite multiple dermatologist visits and endless Google searches. It wasn't until she went in for seemingly unrelated fertility testing that she discovered she had hypothyroidism and that the condition was the direct cause of her dry patches. This aha moment is what led Ali to leave her position as CEO of Cynthia Rowley and build a brand that empowers other women to know what is really going on with their skin and with their health. Allie, along with an all-female team of medical advisors, created Veracity's at-home test kit that measures your saliva for six biomarkers that are directly related to skin health. Within two weeks, you'll receive your physician-reviewed results and skincare recommendations, along with actionable steps to take in your diet and lifestyle to begin balancing your hormones and treating your skin. Veracity is offering 20% off your test kit or Veracity merch if you join their waitlist today and you use code infertile AF20 at checkout. Visit veracityselfcare.com or Veracity Selfcare on Instagram to learn more about the brand and begin treating your skin from the inside out. Stay tuned for Verasti's endocrine disruptor free skincare products, all safe for pregnancy and breastfeeding, launching this June. Thanks veracity.
1: Hello everyone. This is Elisa Freud and I'm the host of the She Speaks How She Does It podcast. We'd love for you to check out our show. Each Tuesday on our show, we spotlight women who are blazing trails in entertainment, media, business, and the world more generally. Our guests openly share their stories, including their successes and failures, and what they've learned along the way. Recent guests include actress Kelly Rutherford, Top Chef star Tiffany Derry, and the best-selling author Eve Rodsky. Our hope is that you walk away from the episodes with tangible advice to keep you motivated on your own path. Join us to learn How She Does It wherever you listen to podcasts like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, or visit us at shespeaks.com forward slash podcast for more information. You can also join the She Speaks community by visiting shespeaks.com. Hope to see you soon.
0: All right, guys. So today's guest is Dr. Sunita Osborne. She is a clinical psychologist and the author of two books on miscarriage, The Miscarriage Map, What to Expect When You're No Longer Expecting, and The Miscarriage Map Workbook. She also has a really good sense of humor. So I had a lot of fun talking to her, even though you know it got a little dark at times as it does. And today she's going to tell us all about her infertility journey, which included two miscarriages. And this is also one of those stories that, spoiler alert, does not end up with a baby. So we're going to talk about that as well. So without further ado, this is Sunita's Infertility Story. Good morning, Sunita. How are you today? Good. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm so glad we finally connected. Thank you so much me for too. doing this. So, you reached out to me because you have written a book called The Miscarriage Map: What to Expect When You Are No Longer Expecting, based yes. on your personal experience. So, mm-hmm. let's just start at the beginning for you. Where where did your journey begin and did you always want to have children?
2: Yeah. So, I think I did always want to have kids. I grew up in a really close family. So in my mind, I always knew like, that's what I wanted when I was an adult as well too. But I never really knew timeline-wise when I wanted it to happen. And I know for a lot of people, we talk about the idea that there's never really a perfect time, that all the elements are going to add up. That's like, this is the moment. But I honestly kind of felt like I had that moment in 2018, as close as it could be, at least. My husband and I had moved from Indianapolis, Indiana Back to Houston, Texas, which is where I'm originally from. Mm-hmm. And we were living in the suburbs. I had started my job as a psychologist at a group practice here in Houston, living like 15 minutes away from my parents. Like it felt like everything was in place to like start this journey. You're so like, I was
0: built-in childcare with
1: exactly. Parents. Yes. That's we so were essential. Like,
2: I don't
0: have that in New York. And okay. I'm so desperately wishing I did. Yes, right.
2: So I was like, okay, they're like 15 minutes away, convenient driving distance, like All of that was in place. I'm like, yes, we're ready. Husband, not as much. So on the same track, he was like, okay, this feels a little bit much. So a couple of conversations later and things like that, two months later, he was like, okay, I'm on board. Let's do this. And we were lucky enough that once we started trying, we found out at the end of September that we were pregnant. And I still remember like that moment when I got that positive pregnancy test, like looking in the mirror, and having this like crystallized thought of like everything in my life is about to change, which was certainly true, just not maybe for the reasons I thought it was going to. Mm-hmm. And I wish I could have been one of those people who were just like really creative and have these cute ways of telling their partner that they're pregnant. But I was just way too excited, so I just like woke him up in the middle of his sleep, and I'm like, "We're pregnant!" Yeah, and, yeah I just, <laughs> you didn't feel I like a confetti wait. cannon
0: or anything <laughs> like that. Jeez.
2: It could have been. I had so many cute ideas: confetti cannon, some kind of like intricate scavenger hunt, and something like that with different yeah, yeah. Like, clues. But I was too excited. And I'm not a particularly creative person. So I was like, nah, I'm just going to wake you up. I've done enough work already. Mm -hmm. So I shared with him, he was super excited. And I immediately went into like planning mode. Okay, let's go ahead and schedule the doctor's appointments and all this kind of stuff. And we scheduled it for like the next week, which I was kind of surprised about because I'd heard from friends and family that sometimes it takes They won't see you until you're like eight or 10 weeks or something, but they were willing to see me just like the next week when I would have probably been only like maybe six weeks or so along.
0: Okay. And how old were you at this point? I was 20... Eight. Okay. So young. Yes.
2: Yeah. Everything
0: in your 20s. It's the 20s to me sounds so young now. Yes. Yeah. I was 28. And it's funny because my two best friends were both pregnant at that time, which I'm
2: sure like influenced my decision a little bit too to think like this is the right time. It's happening. Everyone else around me is getting pregnant. And they actually were pregnant like right then, maybe just like a month ahead of me at that time too. So it just felt like everything is aligning in a really good way. And even by the end of that weekend, just because I'm the type of person, if I have news, I like have to share it with my people. So by the end of that weekend, my parents knew, my siblings knew, my boss knew at work, his family knew. So we like shared with all of our important people by the end of that weekend, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so we went to the doctor the following week. And essentially, you know, we had the first exciting appointment where they confirmed the pregnancy. They did the ultrasound, and she's like, okay, well, it looks like you're a little bit earlier than we would have expected just based on the date of your last period. But you probably just ovulated late, whatever else. And, you know, I'm sure you're fine. We'll just have to keep having you come back for appointments just to double check your HCG levels and all that kind of stuff. And it was right around that time that she left. And she's like, okay, like, you know, I'm not worried. It's going to be fine. I remember thinking I'm like, damn, I wish I had that luxury. Mm-hmm. I am I, like immediately the seed of anxiety was kind of planted in me thinking, You know, I was pretty sure about like my dates and when I ovulated. So like, what does this mean? My husband wasn't too worried but that next month. So we found out end of September, 2018, that we were pregnant. October, 2018 was like, just one of like Dante's rings of hell, honestly. It was, we were just going to the doctor once or twice a week, every week in October, and essentially every appointment was okay. Let's check your ECG level. Let's do another ultrasound again. Okay, it looks like you're. It's growing a little bit, but we're not seeing the heartbeat yet. I'm not worried yet. We just need to keep checking and checking and checking for the entire month of October. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's an interesting experience being a psychologist and experiencing anxiety because, like, I know all the tools. I know all the things that I would, you know, help my clients with. But it's really hard to use those tools myself in that moment, especially because I had never been through this
0: before. Right. So So what do you do when you're not able to use the tools that you've been trained to teach other people to use? Well, one thing I found myself doing is turning to
2: Dr. Google quite a lot, which I imagine many of us know is not very helpful. Yes.
0: You went down the Google rabbit hole. I went down so often.
2: Yes. So hard too, because I think we all know, Google has that interesting tendency that if I have a certain, like if I'm in a certain mindset, like, oh shit, like this is all going to go downhill. I need to prepare myself for the worst. I can find answers then that support that like state of mind that I'm in. Or if I'm like in a hopeful place where I'm thinking, you know what, I think this is going to be okay. I think that, you know, it's probably normal that it's been a month and I still haven't really seen anything on the ultrasound yet. This is okay. I would find things that would support that as well too. So I would usually be, I'd be Googling a lot. I got a lot of really great support from my husband. He was amazing at just like holding space for me. And that one, I would be just like freaking out, be very reassuring without being Mm -hmm. dismissive. And honestly, I did a lot of time distraction as well too, like healthy distraction, Mm -hmm. Chick-fil-A reading, things like that. Anything I could do just to get me through that night. Nice you said Chick-fil-A? Chick-fil-A. Oh my God. I love Chick-fil-A. <laughs> You've been associated with bad times in my life, but you're so fucking delicious. So I have to keep going to you. So. <laughs> That's Chick-fil-A. It was part of my journey as well I love too. It. <laughs> and so after that month of doctor's appointments... Really, just trying to like get through it as best I can. We finally actually ended up switching to a different OB because it was at a certain point where I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous. How do we not have an idea, an answer? Like, our doctor was very nice and sweet, but it seemed like she was just trying to prevent me from worrying by telling me that everything was okay when it seemed like things weren't. And this is my so you're first still
0: pregnancy. pregnant, but yeah, getting the typical answers and the increased levels and all that stuff that you should be or you were to a certain degree, but it wasn't like it didn't seem right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So the, the HCG levels were still
2: like doubling, like, but just like a little bit less than doubling. Mm-hmm. And then each time they would come to the, go to the ultrasound, the gestational sac would be growing, but just not as much as you would expect. Like you could see the yolk sac, but it wasn't a lot. So it just left us feeling just confused. Yeah. Every so time. you're in this so limbo
0: period that yes. is so hard
2: mentally. Exactly. Of thinking yeah. like, should I be preparing for a miscarriage? Should I be preparing for I am pregnant, I don't know what to do. Right. And one thing I will definitely always tell people, like, if you don't feel comfortable with the doctor you have, it is so important to like advocate for yourself and go to a place where you feel supported and safe, because this process is hard enough already without also feeling like you're not getting the help that you need. So we ended up actually switching to a different doctor. And it was at our first appointment there that she essentially like, looked at all the results. Did the ultrasound and she's like I'm sorry you are having a miscarriage and she just confirmed it pretty quickly when we were in her yeah. office and you know I can still just remember that moment when you hear that news and mm-hmm. things go from just being very fast to very slow like it just mm-hmm. feels like slow motion in that moment right
0: and you really hear changes it. in Exactly. With someone telling you that phrase, it mm-hmm. literally changes your life direction from one way to another. It's so it's it's so powerful. Isn't it? It's it's wild how like, you can go there
2: in the morning and have this whole idea what your life literally is going to look like, not just the next few months or things like that, but your life is going to look like. And then right. you hear that news and you're like my life is fundamentally different now. Like everything yeah. that I had hoped and dreamed is completely
0: like shattered in yes. a lot of different ways. Completely. Can we talk a little bit more before you go on about yeah. the doctor thing? I just want to stress yes. again for people who might be listening, because I feel like that's so important to know is like, if you're not happy with your doctor and this whole experience is such a, you know, you're on this like ticking clock, right? Like their time right. is of the essence. So I, I feel like I've talked to people before who weren't happy with their doctor and were like, oh, I wish I would have switched earlier. So I want to say right now, if someone's not happy with their mm-hmm. doctor, switch now. Like, Don't waste time, right? Like, You know in yes. your gut if it's right for you or not. And there are wonderful doctors out there. So if you're not feeling good about your doctor, I would say don't even wait another minute. Just, be able, just find the one that works for you because I feel like that's such a, you know, there's so much time can be wasted. And I know it's not always easy, and there's insurance issues. Mm-hmm. and If you are able to, and if your insurance, you know, if you are doing this through insurance and you're able to switch, I would just say, you know, advocate for yourself, like you said, and look into other options.
2: Yes, I am so glad that you said that, Ali, because I do think that's such a good point. I feel like. Pregnancy loss and fertility—it takes away so many of our choices. Like mm. it's such a disempowering experience, and like yes. wherever we can find like agency and some kind of sense of okay, this at least this I feel like I have some control over. It's yes. so important to be able to like take those choices right. when we can,
0: because they're right. kind of few and far in between in this process. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so this so you got this terrible news, and how is your husband feeling? Yeah, so he was. I think he kind of went straight into kind of like fix it mode
2: he had that moment where i remember we like looked at each other and immediately like i was just like bawling crying and i saw like a look of sadness in his face i just never seen before and i think we were really just in that moment just feeling the loss together but i think it was as soon as we left the doctor's appointment and they went into the mode of us um Scheduling appointments, like we, they were immediately kind of going from a very slow moment to very fast, where they're like, "Okay, we should schedule the DNC because you were this far along, and we need to schedule these appointments." So he kind of jumped into that fix it mode as well too. And you know, I shared this in my book as well. But I remember when we were walking out of the doctor's office, my husband said a few things that really like stuck with me in that moment, and not in the best way. He had said, "You know, well, at least you weren't so." far along, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, at least you weren't that attached to it yet. And I remember in that moment hearing that and like that, it hurt to hear Mm -hmm. that. I didn't like explode in anger as I kind of internally wanted to do because I also understood he was probably telling himself those things as well, trying to Mm -hmm. convince himself that's what he was feeling too. So I think he was trying to go into fixing mode, trying to go into like silver linings mode, I would say as well too, like, well, at least, and again, just trying to convince himself that maybe things are it's going to be okay. It's not that big of a deal. We can fix this somehow, fix this thing that can't really be fixed. Mm -hmm. So I think he kind of moved into that place in that moment. And so we ended up, we went home and because I told my entire family about this, we also called and shared the news with them and they all came over. And I have a really sweet, amazing family. They're not always the best at being very emotionally responsive Mm -hmm. and we'd never been through a situation like this before. So we were all kind of sitting together, not really knowing what to do, what to say and how to actually respond to each other that moment. So I remember just like sitting there silently, just kind of telling them the logistics of the situation without going into the emotional stuff. Cause like, I don't know if they can really know how to hold it. So we had that experience. Then we had the DNC just the the next week, which went as it went. But I remember it was, it was actually the morning of the DNC that I started to look for different resources because I just remember feeling so lost, so confused, so like, what the fuck am I sitting in right now? Like, This is a new level of pain that I've never experienced in my life. So I found things like your podcast and I found other podcasts. And I started looking for books as well, too, mm-hmm. just because I'm always someone who's turned to different books whenever I need a source of like comfort. And I found a lot of amazing books out there about fertility, about pregnancy loss. But there wasn't quite the book I was looking for that was both a woman's story or a person's story, as well as what are some like research-based like insights and clinical tools to help you actually move through this process. Mm. So that's actually like literally the day before my DNC. I started like writing my book essentially. Yes.
0: I love I started, that. You saw yeah. something that was missing and you created yes. it yourself. Exactly.
2: You know, and I think I've heard you mention that before on your yeah. podcast when you were talking about the yoga studio that mm-hmm. you went to. Like and the same thing with this podcast. Like is seeing a need and creating that mm-hmm. thing then to fill that space. So and that's right. essentially when I started I started writing. I started writing my book. And as my story evolved, so did the chapters of my right. book. So I started by writing my story. It's talked about the DNC, the different like, kind of options. And I really went into some of the, like, the nitty gritty details about it, about how it's not just like a physical loss, but it's an emotional loss. It's a financial loss because like, shit, this stuff is expensive. And no one talks about that. Right. Which
0: really, really is this like insult added to injury. It feels uh-huh. like a lot of the time. So you started writing before you even had the DNC. See, I wasn't able to write about my experience until way afterwards, like when I was in the thick of it, I couldn't even, it was so raw for me. So it's interesting that that's how you dealt with it was by getting it out right away. Was it, how was the writing process for you? Was it hard or was it therapeutic or probably a mixture of both? Yeah, I would say definitely a mixture. Like there were times where I was writing, the tears
2: would be just like streaming down my face Mm -hmm. as I was writing, but it was such a comfort to me at that time. Like there would be times when I'm literally like, I remember sitting at the hospital at the DNC and thinking about like this is what I'm going to write about this are like these are the things I'm going to be including when I write I, I remember when I went to my shortly after my DNC it was my best friends joint baby shower which is like somewhat of a nightmare i would say after yes. a miscarriage to go to that and I went to their mis I went to their baby shower, and then when I came back is when I wrote my chapter, hating pregnant people and all things baby, just because it was all like so fresh in my mind.
0: Right. Wait. Let's say that again, so we people hear it. I love. It's the best chapter title. It's called yes. Hating Pregnant People and All Things Baby. Yes. <laughs> have all been there, sister. Seriously. Yeah. Tell me tell me more about the shower. What was that experience like for you?
2: So I will say first I was supposed to actually like plan that entire shower for them just because like the three of us have been best friends forever. So it was always understood that I was going to plan their baby shower. But as it got closer, I had shared with them. I'm like, guys, like I am just not in a place where I can like just consume myself with like baby planning games and activities and all that kind of stuff. And they were super understanding. So I didn't end up planning it, but I helped with like decorating and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But when I got there, and this is actually how I began the first um, part of my book is saying like, I was such a dick at my best friend's joint baby shower. Like I was (laughs) the worst. I was not in a good mood. I was obnoxious and I'm not, you know, the people listening don't know me but i'm usually not like that i would like to say i'm a pretty like warm friendly person mm-hmm but I was such a dick there. There was a uh, different like baby games. And for whatever reason, I decided my style of coping was going to be just like aggressively playing all the games, like making it my like competition. I'm like, I'm going to win this Starbucks $5 <laughs> gift card because if I, now I can have all the caffeine I want. So I deserve this. Right. You're like getting real drunk because
0: they can't. <laughs>
2: exactly. I was like, I will do all the things that I was not able to do before. And there was this one, like, Baby game where maybe people have played this before where you have to try to get people to say the word baby and then you get to take their clothespin, and then whoever gets the most amount of clothespins at the end, they like win. And I, yes, I recently both. saw this yes.
0: on Chloe Kardashian's uh-huh. Instagram story for her best friend Malika's baby shower. They did that. Okay. <laughs> yes. So they did that and I love as well. <laughs> I've interviewed her before. She's awesome. Okay. Anyway. Oh my
2: gosh. That's yeah. So she's cool. awesome. Yeah. So we played that game and I essentially was just going around, interrupting people like mid conversation, getting them to say the word baby. And then I would just like leave right in the middle. I'd be like, I like, get your clothespin and I would like just take it away from them and just like leave the conversation and I kept doing that to the point that I had like 30 clothespins and like the next person maybe had like six so like clearly I like won the game right and when I won and they like announced that I won I like just like clap loudly for myself and then it was just my <laughs> husband who was clapping like no one else did because they're like she's the worst <laughs> what is
0: happening what were your friends doing your the, who were having the shower like your two best friends were they like so oh, Yes, they're luckily very sweet and
2: very supportive. So they were just kind of letting me do my thing. And they were kind of just luckily so also consumed by like guests coming up to them and like, you know, touching their belly and asking them questions. that so they kind of just like, let me be that. If anything, I like to think that they thought I was kind of entertainment for them, like, okay. like kind of weird clown that they hired for their party, but they didn't realize they had. Right. You're essentially- like sad clown. <laughs> <taking> <laughs> <it> exactly. <out. laughs> yes. I was like the sad clown at the party that they maybe never
0: knew that they needed, but actually I think <laughs> helped all of us. Yes. Well, I so wish that this book existed when I was going through it because like you said, and like I've said before, I was so desperate for something. I, and I went to the book section you know, and there was nothing there and this was like seven or eight years ago. So there's a lot yeah. more now, but- it's so great that you wrote it. And I love that obviously you come at it from a sense of humor too. So tell me about that. Like, why is humor so important to you when dealing with something like this? Yeah. You know, I had actually written
2: something about humor, just even in the beginning of the book, because I did, knowing some people that humor may not be the way that they always approach it. And I wanted to make sure that people understood why I used humor. And I think it was for me, it's like, we know that this is like a painful subject, that it is a confusing one that just takes us to really low places. And I think humor at times can just like give us that sense of like lightness and a lot of darkness. And I think it also just allows there to be connection in those moments. Like even being able to share with people like, hey, I have this chapter called like hating pregnant people and all things baby opens up the conversation that it's safe enough for them to share like, damn, I hated pregnant friends as well Mm -hmm. too. Like I did not want to go to that baby shower. All of those things that maybe didn't feel like it was safe to say before. So I think a lot of ways like humor just adds safety to a conversation as well as lightness. So, I felt really important for me to be able to share that humor. and You know, I felt really proud because I've had a couple of reviews on Amazon where people have shared like, I really love this book, but just like a disclaimer, if you don't like curse words or like really blunt humor, you may not like this book. And I'm like, I love that disclaimer. Like I feel for whatever reason, very proud that like that is being put out there because that is the kind of like what I wanted to share. I think yeah. a lot of people same thing in the reviews would say things like, it feels like I'm just talking to like a friend. Yes. And again, I think that's the piece of like, it opens up. The conversation allows us to be something where you can just show up however you want to show up. You don't have to, I don't know, frame it in a way that feels like it is appropriate or PC or whatever else. Like, just share whatever you're feeling in this moment. Exactly. All of that is okay.
0: Right. And in scanning the reviews for your book, you have all these five star reviews. Like, people are loving it and highly recommending and calling you Dr. Osborne, which sounds so cool. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but just saying, you know, how real and, you know, how, to, how you cover all these different topics from like, you know, the baby showers, from going back to work to right. intimacy, what to say and what not to say. So mm-hmm. these are all such important things. So let's unpack that a little bit. Tell me about the intimacy part of like post-miscarriage. You don't have yeah. to be specific if you don't want to with you and your husband, but just in general, how do people kind of recapture that intimacy that might be lost? Yeah, and I'll say, what am I getting too specific?
2: I was really specific in the book. I remember I shared with my husband like the chapter because mm-hmm. uh, like, I have a relationships after miscarriage chapter. I'm like, are you okay with this? Like, because a lot of times when I was writing, it almost felt like in the be- at times like almost like my diary at times where I'd just be like totally. sharing what was going
0: on, and then like also putting in like clinical insights because I am a couples therapist as well. Right. So I'd be sharing things I- about. I love the juxtaposition, though, of your personal anecdotes and then like this practical information as well. Yes. Yeah. And I'll say when it comes to
2: intimacy after miscarriage, I think there's a few different things is first, just the emotional intimacy piece. Miscarriage and infertility can be a huge trauma on a couple. And any kind of trauma can really create like distance, disconnection. And just have a huge impact, especially because for a lot of couples, like this is the first really hard thing that they've had to face together. And I'll say a lot of couples have this idea where, okay, well, we've been together, like this is my person, he understands it or she understands it in a way that no one else will. So they're very surprised when their partner doesn't respond or doesn't grieve the same way that they do. Mm -hmm. So I think that can really become like a barrier to connection at times because I'm thinking, my God, my world is like just fucking shattered right now, but somehow he's going to work. He's going on this trip. Like, how is that possible? possible. Mm -hmm. So I think at times just the level of um, grief that we may experience or just the difference in our grieving can really affect our intimacy, can affect our connection with Mm -hmm. them. Right. And on top of that. Are there any
0: tools that you can recommend for people?
2: Yeah. You know, there's a few different things that I think are helpful. So first, I'm a little biased here, but I think couples therapy and individual therapy are both super helpful after Mm -hmm. this process. Big therapy fan. Yes so helpful. Like my husband and I were going to couples therapy afterwards. We were both going to individual therapy. And I think couples therapy really helped us in being able to make space for what we were each experiencing and how we were experiencing it. And, you know, I always tell people, I think the nice thing about couples therapy is obviously the couples therapist isn't like a magician and can't do anything to completely solve things, but help you like almost be like your GPS in a sense during this kind of like thing that you're feeling so lost and confused and give you some kind of direction to go into. And I think what you can do together is a few different things. First is to even find, okay, if there's books, if there's podcasts like this, listen to them together. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times stuff like this can be such a beautiful conversation starter in the sense that it may be hard for me to find these words, but when I heard like Katie or someone else, or like Donna say something on your podcast, I'm like that, that I resonated with. Did you hear what she said? That's how I feel, but I don't know how to phrase it exactly. Right. And that can become such a beautiful place to Good. that makes me so happy. To hear. Yeah. Yes. I've gotten it letters can... from
0: people that are like, we listen to it in the car together Yay. when we're commuting or on a long drive. And that's, you know, that's the whole point. So that makes me really happy that people are connecting and able to share and opening conversations that th- that might have been hard to open or you know, finding the right words, like you said. Definitely. And I will say I've definitely recommended
2: your podcast to many of my clients before. Oh, thank you. Year. Yeah. Because I love that, again, the sense of humor is there, the realness is there, the op- like authenticity, all the stuff that we are going through and like need to hear to know that like, okay, I'm not crazy for having had this reaction in right. the moment.
0: Yes, yeah. totally. So can you tell me what, so what happened next for you guys? So this happened and then how do you kind of move on and, and where, what happened with your journey. Yeah. So what happened next for us is, you know, I continued writing
2: and at the same time I had this belief that I imagine many of us can relate to thinking, okay, I want to try again and I want to try again soon to get pregnant thinking in the back of my mind, even though I knew that I really wasn't emotionally where I needed to be in order to like start again. I thought that, okay, if I get pregnant again, maybe this like, First miscarriage can be just like this sad footnote, an otherwise like happy story, essentially. So Mm -hmm. we essentially when it was medically okay for us to start trying again, we started trying again. Mm -hmm. And we found out we were pregnant in January of 2019. So like timeline wise again was like September 2018, found out we were pregnant. November is when I had my Mm DNC. And then January end of 2019, we found out that we were pregnant again. And It was a very different experience this time around, in the sense that I was just like an anxious mess. Yeah. There was excitement, but there was so much like, "Oh my God, what if this happens again? What am I going to do?" And I'd like to think I was able to learn a little bit from my first experience of miscarriage of the things that are helpful, the things that are not that helpful, even things like, "Okay, I know I have questions. I know I want to Google, but instead of allowing myself to Google every time I wanted to, I had like a notes uh, on my like." phone. I would just put down the questions that I had. And if I still want to Google that, I would let myself do it only at
0: the end of the day from like literally 9 PM to 9 30. That's so That's funny. Like, You're the second person that said that they really. Come- another woman I talked to recently said she would write them down and then would give the list to her husband to Google (laughs) so that she didn't have to go down the wormhole. (laughs) Yep. See,
2: very healthy thing to do. Yes. It's kind of similar to something a lot of times we'll recommend in therapy, like worry time essentially, where you're allowed to worry, but you give yourself a very specific time to do it because a lot of times by the time it gets there, you don't always want to search those things. So right. I try to do different things like that, just to allow myself just to get, get through this next month. And I kind of did the opposite of what I did last time where I was like, I don't want to go in early this time. I want to go in as late as I can, just so I can go in there and they can be like, yes, you are pregnant and having a baby or no, you're not. Here's the next steps. So we had an appointment at the end of February. And when we went there, I left my doctor the doctor we switched to, she was amazing because she's like very quick to give you the news. And she starts the ultrasound and immediately says like, I'm seeing everything that I need to see. Like I'm hearing the heartbeats, your baby looks healthy. And I remember in that moment, like almost feeling like I just released a breath that I've been holding for the entire month of February. Yeah, I didn't even realize that I have been holding this whole time. Mm -hmm. So we were just like overjoyed, excited. It felt like we were finally able to go into like dreaming and happy and excited mode in a way that we were never able to before. So mm-hmm. I would say for those next like few weeks, we were just like over the moon and thinking about all uh, like the just the fun stuff you think about when you're pregnant of like names and planning and nurseries and all that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. we had to go back. I think it was like maybe three, four weeks later for what would have been our 12 week appointment. Mm-hmm. And I remember when we came to the doctor's office, even thinking like, I'm sure we showed up as a very different couple than they've seen in the past. But by this point, we hated the OB's office. Yeah. So we were just like grumpy and like not nice. And like the really nice nurse would be asking us questions and we all like chatty and stuff like that. And we'd just be like deadpan. Like, we're not not about the small talk today because we are just... <laughs>
0: anxious as hell, really. So I'm sure that was was that you miserable. said earlier that you were acting like a dick. Yes. Because <laughs> yes. you, we'll show a picture of you. You're like the furthest thing from a dick, like you're the sweetest, like most gorgeous. Person.
2: Thank you so much. Yes. I was definitely not my best self during this whole experience, which I think, again, I like to share that because I feel like it is so much... Just the truth, the reality of what the situation can really do to us, that you don't right. feel like yourself. That's why I tell a lot of people too, like normal you, it takes a back seat during this experience and let that be okay. Yes. Try to take away the expectations that maybe I would think okay, I need to be polite, I need to be friendly, I need to like engage with her. But I was like, Nope, not feeling it. I'm right. just unhappy. Right. Right, now. right, right. But that was the first appointment that we went in there. We were actually like happy and friendly and all like the cute little baby photos that before I was like, fuck these photos. Now I was like, Oh, look at them. They're so adorable. (laughs) I embrace these photos. (laughs) And then, so she started the ultrasound again. And again, very quick with news, which I always appreciate. And she just shared like, you know, I'm really sorry, but I'm not seeing a heartbeat. And it was like, I just remember, like, literally, just shaking in like the stirrups. Like, my legs were like still up, and all of that stuff, and just, just crying and being. Just, I think I am saying it out loud, like, I can't believe it. Like, I can't believe it. And again, I think things moved from going very slow, whereas mm-hmm. like this moment that I had been like dreading actually came true, and I was like in slow motion to very fast, where she had another doctor come in, confirm the diagnosis, and then. Gave my husband and I a moment to just, just really just cry mm-hmm. next to each other again and with each other again. And then came back to be like, okay, we need to schedule a D and C. We need to, you know, do this quickly and things like that. Cause it seems like the baby had passed away probably shortly after our last appointment. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was, it was crazy and it was painfully familiar, unfortunately, as well, too, because we had just gotten the DNC just a few months before. So we had to make that same trip, going to the hospital next door, doing the Mm pre-op. I still remember just during that time, I'm like crying the whole time, again, just not caring about what I look like to everyone around me. Yeah, And I remember this woman saying like, you know, she could see what was on my sheet. I'm like, don't worry. Like I've been there before too. Like I've had three or four losses myself. And I remember thinking it was a really sweet thing to say. And at the same time thinking like, damn, three or four losses. Like, is that going to be my story one mm-hmm. day that I'm just going to have all of these losses that it becomes like three or four, this story that I just share. But I just remember being again, kind of similar to that first experience, just lost and confused, but with an extra layer of just like numbness up in a sense of like, I just can't believe this is happening yeah. again to me right now. And I will say during this time that we, we found out that we were pregnant again, I had kind of paused in my writing. I think what I wanted to happen was that if I got pregnant again, it'd be this like great distraction from a lot of my grief that I was experiencing, which it was because I was focused on pregnancy and happy things and things like that. But it was literally kind of similar to my first miscarriage. The day before my DNC, actually it was the morning of my DNC that I started writing again. Mm-hmm. And I actually wrote a chapter that ended up being one of my favorite chapters in the book or sections in the book. It was An argument essentially for hope, talking about the idea that even though our story ended up where it ended up, where we had a second miscarriage, I was really grateful for those weeks that we had where we were really excited and happy. Those weeks that we were planning and dreaming and all those things, a lot of times what I'll tell both my couples and my clients is that in a lot of ways, we have like this emotional bank account and life has a way of taking a lot of withdrawals from us, whether it's stress, whether it's work, whether it's like, grief and loss like pregnancy loss and infertility so it's really important that we try to put in like deposits into that bank account whether it's hope whether it's love whether it's joy all of that mm-hmm. and i think you know for a lot of us we have that tendency that okay if we've experienced any kind of loss and pain i don't want to hope i don't want to get excited for this next thing but i think even though it was the morning of my dnc and things clearly didn't go the way i expected i was really really glad i let myself hope because that allowed me to feel Allow me to be strong enough, honestly,
0: just to get through the next like weeks and months of like loss and pain that we were dealing with. Right. That's so important that you say that because I think a lot of people are scared to feel the happiness when something, when they've been on this journey and it's been bad news and bad news and bad news. And then they get good news and they're like, really, I think it's very normal. And I felt this way too. It's, you're very hesitant to give in to the happiness. But, it, there's almost an argument can be made for letting it happen and feeling that joy because the highs and lows are what, co- you know, comprise this whole thing. And if you don't feel the highs, you're just going to be a constant, constantly low. Does that, is that exact- kind of you- Exactly. That's exactly what I mean. And I will say so it was it's hard a- to have it a is. Roller coaster, but if you're only, if you're not letting yourself feel the joy I think you're kind of robbing yourself of that little snippet of like happiness at certain points. I completely agree. And, you know, and
2: I'll tell people sometimes too, like even in my experience, the first time we found out we were having a miscarriage, I wasn't expecting it. The second time I was expecting it. Both Mm -hmm. times I was devastated. Being able to expect it, not expect it. Because I think at times people have this like false belief that if I like gird myself to this, if I like prepare for the worst, that somehow it's not going to hurt as bad it still hurts just as bad. You're still just as devastated. All you did is like you said, you robbed yourself of the highs that yeah. you could have had, the joy yeah. you could have shared with your right.
0: with your family, with your person, with yourself. So. Right. With your dog. Exactly. With your dog. <laughs> you can hear that in the background. We, we have a lot of dogs <laughs> yes. barking in the background. It's real life. Yes.
2: It is. It is. They were definitely a part of our journey as well. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. So after that experience, I started writing again and I like just Fully allowed myself just to, like keep writing during that time. And again, I'm writing as my story is continuing to evolving. Because, you know, I think one thing that you hear with miscarriage is typically if you have one miscarriage, there's this whole spiel your doctor will share with you, like it's really common, it happens. There's nothing to say that you won't go on and have a successful pregnancy. But when you have a second miscarriage, you don't really get that same talk. It's more so like it's a little concerning when you have two miscarriages in a row that there could be something going on that we need to get checked out. So we started doing um, infertility testing pretty shortly afterwards and Mm -hmm. getting a sense of like a recurrent miscarriage panel and all that kind of stuff. And I remember throughout that process, being very resentful of the process and being like, I fucking hate this. Even my doctor, who was actually a very pleasant person, being annoyed by any suggestion he would give me, like he would, he would recommend it like a hysteroscopy. And mm-hmm. I was like, do I really need to do that? Like, is that necessary? And he's like, well, you know, I, you know, I think it would be helpful. Like I would do it if I was you. And I remember thinking, I'm like, do you have vagina? That someone's going to be like shoving something up? You <laughs> don't. So I don't know. But, and I also remember thinking during that time of, it almost reminds me of, I don't know if you've ever had this experience before, but if you have like, let's say an ex you've had in the past where it gets to the point that everything that they're saying, everything they're doing, just you find annoying in yes. some way. And you realize that means like, I may be checked out of this relationship, this experience right now. And I was like, that's what's happening right now with my Mm -hmm. infertility testing. I'm checked out of this. I uh, I don't want to do this. So I had a conversation with my husband because he was feeling really similarly to me as well. And we essentially had a really good talk where we asked each other, like, okay, do we want to have kids? The answer to that was yes. The question to that after was, was, are we willing to do everything and anything to make that happen? And our answer at that time, at this time was no, Mm -hmm. we're not. Like we realized and we didn't realize until honestly it was happening that we do have some physical, emotional and financial boundaries that we were starting to hit in that moment. I think that's where all my resentment and everything else was coming from in that moment.
0: Mm -hmm. So
2: we decided that we want to stop. We want to choose something else. And I think the word, again, choice being so important here, because, and I had shared with you before, I really loved Katie's episode. Yeah. I feel like it really just talked about the idea that our path after infertility and pregnancy loss can be, it does not always have to be one thing. You know, we talk about the idea of like a rainbow baby that you can get after the storm, after infertility or pregnancy loss, but that rainbow can look very different for different people. Or sometimes- mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a rainbow. Sometimes it's something else. Like for me and my husband, it was that I started to focus on this book. So I was really excited. So after my first book, I was able to start having a lot of just really beautiful conversations on different podcasts, on different um, just like articles and things like that. And then I got contacted by a publishing company to write another book about miscarriage, kind of specifically both for therapists and for individuals, to be used as like a workbook. Mm. essentially for like pregnancy loss to help people kind of like grieve and process and work through what they're experiencing. That's super so, cool. Yeah. I've been really excited about that. So I started doing that and actually, you know, I had mentioned the beginning of this, that when we moved back to Houston, I realized, okay, yes, we're ready to have kids. We were living in a house in the suburbs. We actually just in the last few weeks put our house on the market and we're looking to move into the city. Wow. Of Houston. Yeah. And, you know, we've been focusing on our relationship and traveling yeah. and just creating a path that is a path that like we want to go on right now. Yes. And again, like it
0: feels really, really good uh-huh. to be choosing this right now. I think it's such an important choice to put out there mm-hmm. because I think some people are very hesitant to make that choice. They don't feel like they can. And yes. what I want people to know is that they you can make that decision if you want to. It's not always easy, obviously, but it is an option and i think that you know sharing more stories like that and like yours you know is so important because sometimes you just feel so stuck in this journey and you're exactly. like going through the motions and you get laser focused and then you forget to step back and be like wait do i even want this anymore so right. it's good to check in with yourself whether mm-hmm. you decide to keep going or not you know like it's good to check in with yourself periodically and be like, do we still want this? Okay, we do, then we'll keep pushing on or like you did. Do you want this? Well, right now, no. But let me ask you this. Is this like a final decision or are you kind of saying you know, we'll keep it open or like, what's, how's the finality of it for you? Cause obviously you can also choose to change your mind again. Right. For sure. Yeah. And I think that's kind of just where we're at for us right now. This is what we want to
2: do that. We want to just focus on our lives outside of trying any form of fertility treatment Mm -hmm starting a family, anything like that, it could be five, 10 years from now, we check back in and realize, okay, maybe there is something else that we want. Mm -hmm. But I think right now that we know, like, this is what we need to do. This is what we want to do. And I do think there is something, yeah, it's so helpful to just even let people know, like, this can be a choice. Like, this is an option for your path. Again, it may not be the option you take, Right. But it's almost even as helpful to know that you can, because I remember when we talked about that, there was a sense of like, whoa, can we do this? Right. actually like, can we say this and this be okay?
0: All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Sunita. And Sunita, thank you, darling, for just being so honest and brutally funny as well. I also wanted to ask you guys if you have two seconds to please go over to wherever you listen to this podcast, give it a rating and a short review that really helps us get noticed. And, you know, there's more and more podcasts every day. So it really helps take us to the top of the heap and reach more people. So I'd really appreciate that. And also I would love it if you are struggling and going through infertility or, you know, someone who is definitely check out fertilityrally.com. Our site has content that we don't have to be a member that you can enjoy and share, but we also obviously have a membership component and we would love to have you join our family, which includes weekly support groups, two weekly support groups, actually private Facebook groups, 24 seven support, a sisterhood, a family, and so much more. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you for checking it out. And I will talk to you guys next time.